0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate?
2: This is Bloomberg Surveillance with Tom Keene, Jonathan Farrow, and Lisa Abramowitz on Bloomberg Radio.
1: This was Operation Say Nothing, where you basically repeat data dependent over and over again, but didn't say which data. And then you basically had a little bit for everybody basically saying they are concerned about inflation, but recognizing that inflation has come in somewhat. This was Operation Do No Harm and say nothing, and get out of there as quickly as possible, which he just did.
3: Highly repetitive, sometimes (laughs) tedious in the bond market. Yields were higher going into this decision. Lower following it. The two-year yield is down, Tom, by about three or four basis points in the bond market right now. TK, 483.91. Some
4: yield moves. It's good to see Gina Smilak of the New York Times pulling the Barbie movie here to give us the spirit of the American economy. January 31, 2024. Is he going to have a Lagarde-like press conference first of the year for the Fed, like tomorrow's Lagarde press conference, if he gets a GDP slowdown, as we heard Bob Michael and Andrew Hollenhorst talk about. I'm fascinated about the luxury he has right now of a buoyant American economy. And if that drifts away, I'm not predicting that, but if that drifts away, John, is it Lagarde-like in January? He
3: is predicting it won't drift away. Yes, very much. The Fed staff are saying no recession in their forecast. Okay. Germany is living one currently. On the balance of risks around the economy, take a listen to what the Fed chairman had to say. It's really
0: a question of how do you balance the two risks, the risk of doing too much or doing too little. And, you know, we, I would say that, um, you know, we're coming to a place where, where there really are risks on both sides. It's hard to say exactly whether, whether they're in balance or not. But as our, as our stances become more restrictive we, and inflation moderates, we do increasingly face that risk.
3: If you asked that question 12 months ago, the answer was obvious. What's the biggest risk right now? Doing too much, doing too little? They would have told you straight off the bat. The biggest risk right now is doing too little. We need to hike, 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 50, go even more than that. TK, the further along you get into this journey of Chairman Powell and co, the less obvious the answer to that becomes. And we're at that point right now
4: we're post pandemic without a theory and if you're at berkeley taking your phd maybe you can figure out a theory post pandemic but i don't uh, see it william dudley joins us now he's a former new york fed president has the immense advantages of years with ed McKelvey doing market economics at goldman sachs we're thrilled that dr dudley could join us this morning bill we got to wake everybody up after a summer press conference you ancient past bill this is 20 30 days ago the great U.S. Treasury bond route is far from over. What I have not heard today is a discussion about higher interest rates. What is your belief that we could see higher interest rates?
5: Well, I think the Chair Powell made it very clear in the, in the press conference that he doesn't see the need to go that much further. Uh, you know, the very fact that it's sort of meaning by meaning now tells you that he thinks that you know maybe there's one more rate hike, maybe there's no more rate hikes uh, as we go forward. But that's a very different story than what does that mean for the bond market because uh, bond yields are low relative to short-term interest rates. I think there's a number of reasons why bond yields could move higher. Number one, inflation is probably not going to average 2% over the next 10 years. It's probably going to average a bit higher because the Fed has an asymmetric regime where when, when they miss inflation to the downside, they try to offset mm. that with misses to the upside, but not the other way around. Also, if you look at the savings investment balance, it's not as, as favorable now as it was before because we have a lot more investment programs motivated by Biden administration policies. And the savings goal is, is also affected by the very large fiscal imbalances that the U.S. is likely to run for many, 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 many years. So that implies that per, perhaps a neutral uh, federal fund rate Consistent with neutral monetary policy, a little bit higher than in the past. And then lastly, the, the risks are two sided now for the bond market. Before, it was all about I could hold hold, hold bonds, and if we ended up in a recession and, we, and the Fed got stuck at the zero lower bound, the bond market would protect me. But now we're a right. long way from the- Lower bound. Uh, so the risk of getting stuck at the lower, zero lower bound seemed very diminished at this point, and the risk right. of inflation being sticky, I think, is you know remains uh, very relevant to the bond market.
4: Bill, we had an article at Bloomberg this week, folks. John Authors and Isabel Lee reported on the strategy world and how absolutely it's brutal has been for Wall Street strategists. Bill Dudley lived this at Goldman Sachs years ago. How clear is the Dudley crystal ball right now, Bill? How, how, what's the vision you've got? Are you making it up as you go?
5: Well, I'm a lot less clear now than I was, say, a year, or a year and a half ago. I mean, at that point, it was very clear that the Fed was way behind the curve in terms of the need to tighten monetary policy. They were going to have to go to restrictive and they're going to have to move fast to get there to keep inflation from getting uh, control, totally out of control. Now they're at a restrictive setting. And so the question is, you know, how, how, how high do they have to go to be sufficiently restrictive and how long do they have to stay there? And I think you know they've been the, the, the economic news has been breaking in a favorable direction in the sense that they're getting quite a bit of disinflation um, without actually affecting the growth rate very much or without actually putting a lot of people out of work. I mean, the fact that inflation's come down and the unemployment rate's still 3.6 percent is really good news from the Fed's perspective. But my own view is, you know, I'm still where I was before. I think the Fed's going to have to be, you know, tighter for longer, and I think they're going to probably emphasize the longer piece. Uh, if you look at their their you know their forecasts, they don't see inflation getting back to two percent until twenty twenty five. So so they th- they think the process still has a long way to go, and I, and I and I agree with them.
1: Bill, how important do you think it is that essentially this is a Fed no longer giving forward guidance?
5: Well, I think that's sort of appropriate. You know, if you if you've gotten in the vicinity of where you think you need to be, and you're uncertain about what. Next, because you don't know if you've done enough, you don't know much about the long and variable lags of monetary policy. You don't know how financial conditions are to react are going to react to what you say and, and what you do. Uh, I think at that point you don't really want to get forward guidance because the forward guidance is probably going to be misleading uh, as opposed to illuminating. So I think it makes sense for them to talk about uh, you know going meeting to meeting. The only thing I was a little surprised today was that there wasn't much talk about the long and variable lags of monetary policy and the need to slow down the the, the tightening, the rate of the tightening process, Paul very clearly put the September meeting back on the table. And I was a little surprised by that because the last, you know, meeting was all about the need to slow down and, and go at a slower pace. And now I find out today that mail September is uh, a live meeting.
1: Well, And he was actually pretty blunt on that. Someone asked him specifically, how does this jibe with what you said at the previous meeting? And he basically was like, "Mm, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to continue. I'm wondering whether you think it's actually more confusing that there wasn't dissent at a time where there clearly is a range of opinions. And we have a Fed chair just reading the same thing over and over again in response to everyone's questions.
5: Well, the lack of dissent just means that people are pretty comfortable with the general trajectory of where monetary policy is today. And they're happy about the fact that inflation is coming down and they're happy about the fact that it's coming down without actually having to really, uh, you know, push up the unemployment rate a lot, at least at this at this point. I think what's, the problem that Paul has created for himself is what do you actually do in September? So in September, you're going to have a couple of things. If you decide not to hike what are you going to show in the summary of economic projection? Are you going to show further rate rate hikes? And if you, and if you do show further rate hikes, it's going to raise the question of why, why <laughs> didn't you do it in September? Just like what we saw at the last meeting. And if you do hike, uh, then the question is, okay, well, what is, why are you going so much quicker now? And 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 do you show further rate hikes in the summary of economic projections after a September rate hike? So I think, it, I think he's made it very awkward for himself in terms of, Tying the projections of what's going to happen in the future to what they actually decide to do in September or, or, or decide not to do in September in terms of keeping rates unchanged. But so some I think, people I think they've created a, a bit of confusion. I think it would have been better to stick to the story of, of, of monetary policy, long and variable lags. At this point, we're close to where we think we need to be. Therefore, we're going to go more, more slowly. But he definitely put September back on the table. I mean, he basically talked about the fact that we have two more employment reports by until September. We have two more CPI reports before September. So he put the September meeting back on the table more than I would have thought he would have done, given that he talked about the need uh, to go more slowly because of long and
3: variable legs. So I found that a little bit confusing. some people frustrated about this September conversation? Bill, I tried to jump in to end it, but we can carry it on if you want. Barry Knapp wrote in and he said this, questions about whether they hike in September were inane. He went on to say, the press conference went poorly, given no questions about fiscal policy working at cross purposes with monetary policy, nor any questions about the deep curve inversion and impact on small banks and the supply of credit. Bill, can we pick up on the first piece just briefly? Whether fiscal policy right now is working at cross purposes with monetary policy. Do you think it is?
5: Well, I don't think fiscal policy is stimulative right now in the sense of the fiscal impulse, but we have very large chronic budget deficits and those budget deficits are going to continue as as far as the eye can see. So the way that plays out is it means that the demand on on, on, on the pool of savings is higher because the government is taking down so much of the supply of savings, and over the next year, we're going to see a lot more treasury supply. Right? Now that the debt limit price is behind us, the treasury is going to be ramping up their borrowing needs very very substantially. And the Federal Reserve is going to continue to sell, is going to continue to, it's continue, it's continue to let $900 billion a year of treasuries and mortgage securities drop. So they've made a tremendous amount of supply, and I think that's going to weigh on the bond market a bit.
4: Bill, the hallmark of your work at Goldman Sachs ages ago was an optimism about the American economics experiment. The most memorable moment today was Janice Smilek of The New York Times folding in the Barbie movie into a discussion with the chairman of the Federal Reserve about the resiliency of the American economy. The smart guys like you, everybody assembled in the room, everybody in the economics racket. Do we just get wrong the resiliency of America?
5: Well, I think that uh, we have gotten wrong the resiliency of the uh, U.S. consumer. I think what's what's driving it is the fact that during the pandemic, there were large fiscal transfers from the federal government to the household sector. And the household sector basically did three things with it. About a third of it was spent. About a third of it was used to pay down debt, and about a third of it was saved. And so coming out of the pandemic, the household balance sheets were in much better shape than they typically are late in the cycle. And I think that's why uh, the U.S. consumer has been pretty resilient. I mean, I think the point that uh, Gino was making was just that, you know, going to uh, Barbie uh, in, a, in a theater is a, is a perfect example of discretionary domestic of, you know discretionary consumption people can decide to do that or not decide to do it. it's not sort of a core necessity and so the fact that the box office for barbie and Oppenheimer were so good was 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 sort of evidence from from her perspective that the consumers still got some uh, life life in them
4: It's a surveillance movie review right is, there you gotta, gotta verse, ask to him did he you? go you gotta <laughs> ask get, him getting
3: bill dudley and i'm on barbie so <laughs> if you want to know you can find out bill did you did you watch it over the weekend
5: no, I, I went to Mission Possible. I haven't gone to Barbie or
3: Oppenheim. That's not that's on that's
4: my plans, though. That's in there the pipeline. We there we go. We just learned more <laughs> there than <laughs> we did Households. in the press
3: conference. <laughs> in the next weekend. Bill, thank you, sir. As always, Bill, Bill Dudley, you. incredibly insightful. Lived it at the Federal Reserve as the New York Fed president.
0: Nobody ever says,
3: make it complicated.
0: That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. By providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
2: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
3: If you are just tuning in, welcome to the programme this afternoon. Good afternoon to you all. The Federal Reserve hiking interest rates, 25 basis points. The Federal Reserve chair saying that he believes monetary policy is restrictive. There was a moment in this news conference when Mike McKee, our good friend and colleague down in Washington, D.C., asked about that. I'm pleased to say that Mike McKee joins us now. Mike, the evidence that policy is restrictive, can you point to it?
0: Well, he's pointed to the fact that inflation has come down and that the Fed funds rate is now above the uh, CPI in all cases, in both core and headline, and that real interest rates are starting to uh, rise above zero. So they do see some restriction on the economy. But I think one of the key things he said was in his answer to me when he said uh, policy has not been restrictive enough long enough. Now, he doesn't want to put a time frame or a uh, actual number on what restrictive is, but uh, clearly they could be there. They just have to leave it there longer. Uh, this was a man who wanted to basically keep his options open and not get tied down right. to uh, anything at this point.
4: Mike, what does this 25 basis point move do to our listeners and viewers? I get, and this was alluded to by a number of our guests, big impact a year ago, two years ago. What's the impact today of this lift for housing for food, for the day-to-day life that we have?
0: Well, it's probably not going to have much of an impact overall in a 25 basis point sense. It's the cumulative amount of tightening that's been done. uh, That's what Jay Powell has been referring to uh, over the last year and a half where they've gone 550 basis points. Now, uh, what you're looking at is decisions made on interest rates, Over a period of time, you don't buy a house every day, you don't buy a car every day, you don't spend uh, money investing in a new factory every day. So it does take time for that to work its way into the economy. They don't know how restrictive they have to be. Clearly, they haven't been restrictive enough uh, in the housing sense because uh, home prices have still been rising. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, they're getting close to that area. And I don't think that the average American is going to notice really anything different uh, about this 25 basis point move.
1: Mike, every time the Fed has a meeting, you sit there, you listen to the tenor, the potential snafus, the way that people ask questions. Today, you heard a very repetitive, very stick to the script, Jay Powell. There was no forward guidance. When was the last time this Federal Reserve gave no forward guidance about what they were planning to do or how they even were thinking about the data that's coming in?
0: Well, it's been quite some time. Uh, The idea today, and I said this before the meeting, was to come in and make as little news as possible. They were locked into raising rates because the market had decided that's what they were going to do. And so the Fed went ahead and did that. And beyond that, uh, they tried basically to leave their options open. Jay Powell was very scripted, as you heard. He did sound more relaxed than he did at the uh, last meeting or the last couple of meetings. So from that sense, point, Lisa, you could say maybe the vibe was uh, they're getting close to the end. And I'm not sure at this point that they would raise rates again. But uh, they don't want the markets to walk away from this uh, thinking that they're going to do one thing or another. So they tried not to really
3: give any guidance. We're covering vibes of news conferences now with Mike McKee. Mike, thank you, sir. Down in Washington, D.C. Appreciate it as always. Here's the runway, the Canada for you. September 20th, The next Federal Reserve decision, Jackson Hole, of course, in between this meeting and the next meeting for the data, August 4th for payrolls, August 10th for CPI, September 1st for payrolls, September 13th for CPI. So, TK, two of each, CPI and payrolls. And the next Fed meeting. And you can and, take away from this meeting, this news conference, whatever you want. That conversation can change very quickly based on two prints of CPI I, I, and two prints from payrolls. Elisa
4: nailed it. She said it's just completely data dependent. I'm going back to that. I don't think there's any theory involved here. I don't think there's any textbooks. That conversation we had before the press conference was just absolutely brilliant on the ambiguities of the moment. Right now, with clarity, because he has to manage money, Jeffrey Rosenberg joins us, Portfolio manager of BlackRock's systematic multi-strategy fund. Jeff, my deepest sympathies, you have to have a conviction, a belief forward. What is your conviction now, given the ambiguities we witness today? I think we have a little bit of silence here. I've got to turn his microphone up TK.
3: There. You know, I I don't you know, Jeff I, put it on mute. I, are
4: they on mute? Jeff's got to unmute himself that, but it's the like ambiguities a Zoom call here. You know the imbi- the ambiguities
3: here are important. In in general, I know this. Like this- when you're in the team meeting and Lisa yeah. starts throwing stuff yeah. at the screen, it's like, "Bram, yeah. you're on mute." I- I'm, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to away tomorrow. To you know?
1: And <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> start like pounding, and then I go, oh, I- excuse I- me." I'm going Pass away tomorrow. Teeth.
3: And you, and you guys where, where
4: are running are the show. I'm going I'm going deep to the northeast. I'm just going it's just gonna be I'm going away for months. It's gonna be like a sabbatical. You're taking like a you month have. off. Taking a month off. That Good means two days. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and you guys have the former vice chairman of the Fed and the arch question to vice chairman claret i believe scheduled tomorrow uh, in bloomberg surveillance in the mornings. check it out folks and i'm john, john i'm sorry the arch question here what is, is claret is saying That's we're not case. going back to <laughs> 2% We're not going back to 2%. Nobody, and Powell's not talking about it. I don't think anybody else really is. Clarida's
3: out front on that. I'm with you. The standout call from former vice chair, Rich Clarida, together with PIMCO, came out in the secular outlook a couple of months ago. And ultimately, it's this underlying belief that they will tolerate higher, above-target inflation of 2 point something. You've got some indication of that, just a hint of it, when he talks about, we're not going to hike until we get to 2%. That's ridiculous. And also, by the way, we don't think we're going to get to 2% until 2025. And within that, I think there is a message, Ramo, that they are willing to tolerate two point something because they're willing to tolerate above target inflation from here all the way out to 2025, if the Fed chair is correct.
1: You know, you pick up a really interesting point because it highlights the uncertainty around long and variable lags. He's saying that if we wait until inflation gets down to 2%, we will have necessarily gone too far. Okay, well, then how long do you have to wait before you understand what the ramifications of what you hiked? Is this a concession that you're willing to go to 2.5%? And that is really what people are trying to parse through. Basically, people are shrugging off Viewing this as a non-meeting, that's my view.
3: We haven't talked about this enough, though, and I think Jean-Bavane of BlackRock, congratulations, by the way, for bringing this up repeatedly. What's the appropriate time horizon, the appropriate period to bring inflation back towards 2%? What is it? So one man's tolerance of above-target inflation is another man saying, well, actually, we just need longer. And if he says 2025, isn't that just him saying, like, this is going to take a while and I don't want to crush the economy to get there sooner?
1: Well, I think that that's a great point. I think the Fed said that that they're willing to be patient but persistent. At that point, at what the issue is, will it become a self fulfilling prophecy at some point? Exactly, if inflation becomes. Is higher? there a
3: window? That's yes. what you're getting at.
1: Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. That's helpful.
3: Well, it's a long day. I feel the way. You know, you can fill in my <laughs> sentences. You can fill in my sentences as well. I need it sometimes too, Bramo. Is there a window where they need to address this before it becomes embedded? Right. You've seen what happened with UPS and what almost happened with Teamsters and the strikes. What are we talking about here? 5% wage hikes? They're not going to be alone, are they?
1: No, and we're already seeing that pretty much across the board. And people talk about the tight labor market, but that changes the scenario in this profound way. This is the issue that a lot of people are looking at. And yet you're seeing that divide, whether it's uh, Bob Michael or whether it's uh, Jim Bianco.
4: You see the divide, and the wage thing is critical because a lot of people, they don't parse out unemployment rate. They don't parse out this, that, and the other thing. They are only and singularly looking at wage inflation. Through all this debate, if folks say, what's this meeting like versus the other 10 meetings we had? And, and I'm going to go to the great observation of Neil Dutta that we finally have a legitimate real wage in this country. And that changes the emotion, the behavior of people like the bombshell from Drew Mattis earlier this week, really pushing against the gloom we heard from our guests where he says you got a legitimate real GDP forward. Part of that, John, is a legitimate wage growth, which I don't think is within the
3: debate right now. Inflation worry. We're worried. In- inflation worry. I'm not worried, worried if I'm getting a pay rise. A oh, no, we are I not worry about no, that. No, I think, you know, no, I've always found it weird when economists say, you know, this is uncomfortable. Wages are too high. And like everyone else is just like, there's nothing uncomfortable about this. You know, that's what I want to happen yeah. at year end. I want a pay rise.
1: And we heard uh, Ch- Jay Powell really speak to that. Yes. He basically said, you know, we want this. It's a good thing that wages are going up faster than inflation. And yet, is it if that's the goal to get down to 2%? This is a conundrum. And he tried to parse it through by actually saying nothing.
3: Elisa, you and I will try and say something tomorrow morning. <laughs> we'll be here alone without yes. TK. I think tomorrow there's going to be a conversation about something Mike McKee talked about in the news conference. What's restrictive? And what evidence is there that we are restrictive right now? This is what the chairman said. The FOMC believes monetary policy is restrictive. He did acknowledge that it's not restrictive enough for long enough, so they need to hold it here for some time. But ultimately, if you look at the real Fed funds rate, it's at a meaningfully positive level. Okay, well, let's look around. What evidence is there of that right now? And I would go one step further. What evidence is there that the disinflation we have seen so far is a consequence of the tightening they've delivered if they believe there are these exceptionally long and variable lags. And I would go to what Neil Dutta said at RenMAC during this news conference and I'll read out what he sent to me privately but he's happy for me to share it with you all. He said the Fed remains wedded to the long and variable lags hypothesis. After 18 months we've seen home prices accelerate, stock prices accelerate, auto sales accelerate and layoffs sink. Long and variable lags is a concept that might be outliving its usefulness. Now, for the same people looking at the same evidence, you can have one individual brammer that turns around to you and says, I think the long and variable lags are a whole lot longer. And someone else can make the same, a different case with the same data and say, you know what, I think they're a whole lot shorter. They just haven't had any effect yet.
1: And anyone who's looking to the Fed for guidance, forget about it because sure. they're not gonna give you any. And and you know basically what I heard was a chair moving the goalposts saying, okay, it might be restrictive, but it hasn't been restrictive for long enough. So is this a new criteria that it has to be long enough that you put that X axis long enough and then that will take place? They don't know. <laughs> so how do they communicate? We don't know. We're experimenting. I, We're gonna I, look at things.
4: I think out of this conversation, and this is Ed Hyman, Evercore ISI, and I thought Michael Darda of Roth MKM was just brilliant today on this. There's an entire monetary or money side to this including something no one talks about anymore, which is M2. I mean, if I if I was down there with Powell asking quiet. a question, I'd say to to chairman, your PhDs tell you at the Fed that M2 doesn't matter anymore, velocity doesn't matter. Europe just announced a crater in loan demand with a slowdown there as well. What's the viscosity right now of the American system? Bob Michaels here. I saw him. He's on his phone doing commercial real estate workouts for Jamie Dimon while he's sitting on set in commercials.
3: Don't start rumours. Yeah, yeah, Good morning, Bob. Thanks for being with Bob us. Bob was fantastic, by the way. Uh, yeah, you've teed up Europe quite nicely because I'm trying. We shift away Maybe from I the should federal cancel my trip. to cover the ECB. It's a sabbatical, but
4: I should, you know, Madame Lagarde would like me to be
3: here. The European Central Bank decision is tomorrow, and it's worth repeating that Germany is in recession. The data is absolutely dreadful, and inflation, Lisa, is still sticky.
1: And this is the fear: What happens if this ends up being a similar story in the U.S. if inflation reaccelerates and growth slows down? We didn't hear that from Fed Chair Jay Powell. His base case is we avoid a recession and we end up bringing down inflation to two percent. The Goldilocks—he's leaning into that, and yet, mm. Mm, yes,
4: I don't think he's—I don't think he's leaning into Goldilocks. I think he's worried about Bill Dudley's outlook. Right? You know, he's—he's he's just just. They don't want to make a mistake on the upside. They do not want to cut before they're certain. That's the emotion of the discussion.
3: I asked the question, Tom, earlier whether the biggest risk right now was cutting too soon or holding too long. Yeah. And I think yeah. I'm with you at the, the biggest the is risk, you are. if
4: I miss the damn golf stream
3: at Titoboro. Never mind. I, I'm, I saw him checking done. the train times yeah. <laughs> <Well, I think laughs> during that,
4: the
1: news conference. I think Jay Powell was checking the train schedule at the same time. He wanted out too. Yeah. We <laughs> need out as well. You probably want
3: rid of us.